Thanks for joining us for the study of God's Word today. We'll be hearing a sermon from Pastor Drew Cook on the importance of community and maintaining fellowship with one another. Hope you enjoy it and see you next week. Well, thank you so much uh, to Travis and Robert. I know y'all worked really hard on that video and to uh, Mel and Elena Herrera. I think they're in here right now. Maybe they're not. I don't know. Thank you. Hey, hi, Elena. Thank you so much for allowing us to come into your home and film. And um, those of you who don't know, we already, we've already had a community group that's been going on for a few months. And they, they allowed us to kind of take a peek in through uh, that production that Travis and Robert put together. So what a blessing. We're really looking forward to September as we start this initiative of, of community and fellowship that is paramountly important for any body of believers. And we believe as pastors and elders that this is how the Lord is really leading us to take a more intentional and diligent step in that, in that direction of really caring for one another. And so what we will continue talking about today um, is fellowship and community. And if you've been here the last two weeks, uh, two weeks ago you heard me talk out of, out of 1 John chapter 1, focusing starting in Acts chapter 2, where we talked about what, what makes true fellowship true fellowship. And then last week, um, Pastor Sam led us and really dive, dove into this idea of evangelism. And if you were here last Saturday night, I talked about evangelism as well, but we really talked about how, how community and fellowship should flow into evangelism. And so what we're going to look at tonight is way more specifically what these groups, what these community groups will actually look like. So we'll speak a little bit more practically about what they'll look like. And in doing so, we're going to focus on five elements that we believe are, um, based off of a close looking at scripture, five elements that we know need to be present in these community groups, in these home groups, fellowships. And those, what I'll do is say these five things first, and then we'll go back through them and then look a little bit more specifically at them. So the first one is being devoted to biblical teaching, being devoted to biblical teaching. And the second thing is true fellowship. The third thing, and if you've been here the last couple of weeks, we've, we've talked about this, but we're going to look at the one another's. And I'll, I'll be more specific about that. But in Scripture, in the New Testament, there are 59 times, 59 contexts where the, where the phrase one another is used in Greek. And I've heard scholars say before that it's, it's one for every week of the year and then seven for the seven days of the week that we're supposed to be doing these things in scripture with one another. The fourth thing is food. Everyone say food. Yeah, food. We'll talk a little bit more specifically about that. And the last thing, and really the focus, what will, where the success or failure of community groups will hinge on is this disciple making disciples culture that needs to be present in these groups. Okay. And then, um, we will, Seek God and his word as we, as we talk about these things. So the first thing, if you could put the first slide up, is that in what these community groups will look like is that we will be devoted to biblical teaching. I don't know, for those of you who uh, were, were paying attention, hopefully all of you, I'd like to assume all of you were, but as Sam was reading out of Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through 21 for us, um, in my Bible, the heading of that passage says, the marks of a true Christian. Maybe your, maybe your Bible says something different. And I've, I've always been very challenged by this passage. I remember, you know, in, in honor of, of graduate, as we, as we honor and celebrate our graduates this week, we heard, we, we heard a lot of their plans that were up here. And 
That's awesome. The Lord says, make plans. I mean, he says, man makes plans, but the, the Lord will direct your steps. But I'll speak for myself. What I said when I was a senior in high school about what my plans were going to be and what I was going to end up doing, those changed dramatically. And so I'm sure that you know, the Lord is carrying, we believe that this, the Lord is carrying these young people in this next season of life, but their plans might be changed. And so we, I've challenged, challenged all of you to hold your plans very loosely and put them in submission to Jesus. Um, but one thing that took me, and I'm still learning this, but it took me a long time to grasp this. I, I've been very guilty over the last couple of decades of, of struggling with this question. What is it that God wants me to do? What is it that God wants me to do? So many of you probably ask yourself this question. What is it that God wants me to do? For you graduates, you're thinking from, from college, you're thinking, man, what's the next step? What career path does he want me to go down? And for you singles in here, what's, who's the person that God wants me to marry? And for younger people, you're saying, well, who is it? Well, where is it that God wants me to go to school? And what, what line of education should I focus on? And for, for a lot of us in here, man, is it, what, what does God want me to do? Is it, is it time for a career change? Or, man, when is it that the Lord is calling me to retirement? And what, what is it that God's, that God's leading me in and how he wants me to use my life to glorify and honor him? What is it exactly that he wants me to do? Meanwhile, there's a host of things in the word of God where he literally tells us what we should be doing. And we get so frustrated because we, we feel like the heavens need to open up and we need to have this supernatural unveiling of what it is that God wants me to do while, while we discount and while we put off all of these very specific directives that were given in the word of God. In Acts chapter 2, verse 42, it says that they, that, that they, that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread. In Acts chapter 2, we, we, we covered this a couple weeks ago during Pentecost Sunday, but as Jesus completed his ministry and died, it is finished. He rose again, and then for about 40 days, he hung around on earth, appearing to his disciples and giving um, some of his last commissions and some of his last commands to the, to the first century church, really. And, and he said, hey, they, they said, when are you coming back for us again? He said, no one knows the time of the date that the Father has set by his own authority. But Jesus is saying, but this is what you need to care about. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses. In Greek, that word for witness literally means martyrs. This is a high call that Jesus was giving his disciples. You will be my witnesses in all of Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And then right after that, he ascends up into heaven. And about 10 days later, later, on the day of Pentecost, all we see in Acts chapter 2 is that they were gathered together in this upper room. And then the Holy Spirit came upon them in, in power as as. Tongues of flame fell from the, from the heavens on the heads of all of the people who were gathered there, and they all started to speak in tongues. The cool thing was they, they could each understand everyone else in their own language, and people walking by were looking at that and saying, oh, they must be drunk. And then Peter's like, no, they're not drunk. Let me tell you what's happened. And then he gives a message about Jesus Christ, about the hope of glory that's, that, that we have, that we cling to. This is, you know, we made this point a couple weeks ago that there's no other reason why all of us would be gathered here in this place. We all have different passions. We all have different personalities. We all have different focuses. Some people like sports. Some people like don't like, some people hate sports. And the reason why we're gathered here in this place together is because of Jesus, and so Peter shares that. The reason why this is happening is because of Jesus. Let me share you. Let me share with you the good news of Jesus Christ. That day, 3,000 people were saved. 
And then we get to verse 42 through 47. We see the activity, what it looked like when the first century church was being the first century church. And the first thing, by no mistake, the first thing that's mentioned is that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. As a church, we need to be devoted to biblical teaching. After all, in 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17, Paul is saying to Timothy that all of Scripture is God-breathed. The word for God-breathed, it's in, in Greek, it's pneuma, which is where the word breath or spirit that we, that we get in, in English for the Holy Spirit, ultimately. He says all of Scripture is, was every single man who wrote the Holy Spirit was inspiring that person, breathing through that person to pin out exactly what God needed to be said. And, and then Timothy, or Paul, goes on to write to Timothy that every, every single word, all of it is God-breathed, and all of it is useful for teaching, for correcting, for rebuking, and training in righteousness, so that the man or woman of God can be thoroughly, completely equipped for every good work. Ephesians 2, uh, 8 and 9 says that it's by grace that we've been saved, through faith, not by works, so that no one can boast. But then when we get to verse 10, he says, For we are God's, but we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works that he prepared in advance for us to do. You, we will never be able to walk in the good works that he's prepared for us, that he's prepared for us since the foundations of the earth were laid. He's prepared these works for us. We'll never be able to walk in those good works until we are men and women who devote ourselves to the word of God. Amen? Amen? And so in these community groups, what will be central to our community will be how we come around the word of God. Yesterday in the evangelism conference, we, we went out and we talked to a bunch of people. And even in one of the conversations at my group, I was with Hannah Gonzalez, even one of the people that her and I spoke with, we, asked them the question, we were asking them a question about, you know, what makes truth truth? Do you believe in absolute truth? And... I asked, I asked them the question, you know, we, this is interesting, yesterday, um, we, we heard the statistic that 40% of millennials, so that's like people that are me, like me, 40% of millennials believe that disagreeing with someone is judging them. And so I was just curious to see how this couple would answer, they were millennials too, and, and I asked them the question, and both of them said yes and no at the same time, and I was like, oh, that's interesting. And they looked at each other, and they went, what? <laughs> and then they kind of explained their answers, but... But in, in, a, in a world where people are so concerned about not offending people, what that's resorted to is everyone going like, well, you just do your thing and I'll do my thing and you can have your truth and then I can have my truth. With 8 billion people in the world, let me just throw a wrench in the middle of that flawed philosophy. Everyone cannot be right. If you say everyone's right, all you have to ask is, are you sure about that? I say you're wrong. So are you calling me right? It doesn't make any sense. There's no such thing as absolute truth. Are you absolutely sure about that? Yesterday, Hannah and I talked with another guy, and, and I think he felt a little, you know, attacked by us. We, we weren't attacking him, I promise, but I asked him the question, do you believe in absolute truth? And point blank, he just said, no, I do not. And I really wanted to say, are you absolutely sure about that? <laughs> but I didn't, and then he left. But um, if we don't together, with one concerted effort, say, okay, you know, I'm, I have my own opinions. I have my own preferences. If, if we don't come together and go, you know, okay, I, I realize that I am a product of my upbringing, and, there, and, I, and I'm going to bring my preconceived ideas. I'm, I'm going I'm I'm to take all the things that I've held on to my whole life and all the things that I've heard in different contexts. I'm going to take these things, and I'm going to hold them very loosely and then put them in submission to the perfect word of God. 
Until we do that together, we're always going to be hitting walls in our fellowship with one another. What makes our fellowship fellowship is when we, we, when we come around a central idea, and, that does, and it's not just one idea, but it's the person of Jesus Christ and then what his word has to say on all matters pertaining to life and godliness. So we do this together, amen? The second thing is, we talked about this two weeks ago, true fellowship. This is another element of our community. It's going to be true fellowship. And just to give a little recap for those of you that weren't here two weeks ago, in 1 John 1, verses 1 through 7, we see in verse 3 that what John wrote, what we've seen and what we've heard, what we've touched, what we've experienced empirically, we proclaim to you. There is this there was this flawed idea in the first century that had infiltrated the church of Gnosticism saying that, no, it has to do with special revelation. And, and like if, 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 you, if you know, anything that's physical is evil and anything that's spiritual is good. And so Jesus couldn't have been physical because only physical things are bad and spiritual things are the only thing that's good. So Jesus didn't actually physically... He wasn't here. He was more just like a whatever. I don't know, like a ghost that hovered around. And, and, and his resurrection wasn't like a physical resurrection. It was, it was more spiritual. It was like the concept of resurrection. And that, that philosophy has actually infiltrated a lot of so-called churches today because the gospel is offensive. To tell someone that you need to believe this so you don't go to hell is very offensive. That's very confrontational. We could be the most loving and gentle, and that's what we've been called to be, is loving and gentle. But when we get to the message of the cross, there's a reason why Paul says this to the church in Corinth, that, that the gospel, the, the, the cross of Christ, it's foolishness to those who are perishing. And so in the first century, John's like, look, that's ridiculous. We're talking about things that we've seen. Talk to Thomas. He, he was doubting it, and he's like, Jesus, are you real? And he's like, yes, come put your hand on my side. Feel, feel the scars. And then Thomas is, oh my gosh. <laughs> He's alive. He's resurrected. When, when we experience and we know and we come to learn about the things of God as he shows us in community the truth of the gospel, then that's what contextualizes our fellowship. He goes on in verse 3 to say that we proclaim this to you. We have fellowship with each other because our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Unless our vertical fellowship with the Lord is reconciled. If you're sitting in here and you're like, ah, I'm, I'm struggling to really find good community or fellowship, and I'm always feeling like it's just not, it's not enough there. Well, I'm going to submit this to you. It's probably because you're not reconciled to God. And until you're reconciled with God, vertically, your horizontal relationships are always going to fall short. They're always going to be in vain because they're not contextualized by the person who created you. After all, he knows what's best. And he goes on and he says, hey, if you say you walk, if you, if you walk in light, but you're living in darkness, you're a liar. Because God is light, and in him there is no darkness. And then John goes on to exhort them to, to be people who walk in the light. True fellowship requires open, accountable, revealing interactions with each other. We're willing to talk about each other's stuff. We're willing to, un to un uncover the deep things of our hearts and minds. You know, the enemy loves for us to feel like this church. Can y'all please listen to this? The enemy loves for you to feel like, yeah, but if I share that thing, it's all going to be over for me. I can talk about, I'm comfortable talking about these things, but if I share that one thing, it's gonna, it, might, it might ruin everything. 
Well, who's the most important person that we're obligated to? God. He doesn't know about that thing. Well, what did he do to counteract your stuff? He sent Jesus to die on the cross for your sin so that you could be in community with people who, by the way, 100% of the time, you'll find someone that's going through the exact same thing. No temptation has seized you except what's common to man. And then you can share in that, and then you can progress with each other. We don't want to call something fellowship that's not fellowship. Just because we pray and sing and have the word of God open doesn't make it fellowship. It's our fellowship and interaction with God that will contextualize our interaction with each other. That's what makes true fellowship true fellowship. The third thing are the one another's. And I said this already, but in Scripture, there's 59 times in the New Testament where the phrase one another is mentioned. As if it's almost like it's really important for us to be with one another. In John 13, Jesus gives us himself as the perfect example. He says, just as I have loved you, In the exact same way, Jesus says that I have loved you, so also you love one another. So also you love one another. Before that, he says, it's a new commandment that I give you to love one another. And then the third time he says it, he goes, all men, this is huge, all people will know that you are truly my disciples if you love one another. So the way that a watching world looks at us and says, hey, they really believe what they say they believe in. Y'all, y'all tracking with me? The way that a world, yesterday when we were out sharing, we heard a testimony um, from Bart and Monica's group. They said that we were talking with someone, and they, you know, they love Jesus, but man, the church is hypocritical. Gandhi says this, I love your Jesus, but I hate your Christians. Right? And, and, it, and it's true, we, we are hypocritical. Like, I am a sinner. What, there's, what qualifies Drew Cook to stand up here and preach to you guys? It's Jesus. Let me just tell you that. I have plenty of my own flaws. I need accountability. I need fellowship. I need people that I can get in the gutters with and just share my stuff with so they can hold me accountable and pray for me for healing. I need, we all need these things. All of us. John, and that's that's how we love one another. Jesus says that we that in loving one another, people will look at us and they'll say, well, at least I, I can't deny that they believe in it. They can't use the excuse, well, I don't, want any, I don't want to have anything to do with that because they can't even get their own stuff together. 1 Thessalonians 5, if you want to go there, 9 through 11. This is Paul. <clears throat> 1 Thessalonians 5, 9 through 11. Paul's writing, but since we belong to the day, it's verse eight, sorry, verse verse nine, for God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing. So in light of this fact that we are to pursue Jesus until he comes back or until we die, the way, the, way, the way that we do that is by encouraging and building each other up. It, 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 we talked in, in Ephesians um, chapter 4 how God has appointed and gifted people to be leaders in the church. You have prophets, evangelists, teachers, shepherds, apostles. He goes, but all their job is to do is just to help equip the saints, is to help equip the body of Christ for what? 
so they can build each other up. Do, it's literally, Paul writes, to do, the, to do the work or the ministry of building up the body until we, we attain perfect unity in the fullness of Christ Jesus. That's, that means we always have work to do. Unless if you're in here and I'm like, no, I've, I've reached it. I've reached that point. Well, then your job is to help other people reach that point. I'd be willing to say, though, that probably none of us have reached that point. And so we're all called to hold each other responsible in attaining the unity of Christ Jesus until we reach the fullness of Christ together. We build each other up to do that. It's ridiculously convenient for pastors to say that my job is more important because I'm a pastor. And as people, you know, we use the, with the term lay people. You're not like professionals at church or whatever. But it, it's very convenient to be like, well, all you have to do is just pay money and sit in a chair. And then it's their job to do all that stuff, right? No. We, it, it's our responsibility to build up the church and do the work of the ministry together until we all reach perfect unity. Um, in 1 John, this is not John 3.16, but 1 John, if you want to go there, 1 John 3.16 through 18. This isn't a one another passage, but it's really good for community. John writes, by this we know love, that he, being Jesus, laid down his life for us, and so we also ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. And you look at verse 17, he says, anyone has the world's good and sees his brother in need. This has often been a question that I've heard, that I've heard proposed over the years. Is it, and the question is, is it more important to minister to believers, like to other Christians, or to non-believers, to people who are not Christians? And it's kind of a trick question because those things are both hugely important because God has set apart people that are going to be saved. But how can a body that's not working well do anything effectively? John seems to suggest here that, 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 if, that if we don't make it a priority to serve the needs of the body first, that's a suggestion that God's love is not really inside of us. How can you, having all of the world's goods and not do anything when you see a brother who is in need. How can the love of God really abide in you? When you think of the world's goods, I know obviously our minds probably immediately go to resources like money, food. But I would submit to you that the world's that you could really put any resource right there. And so if you call yourself a Christian, God's given you gifts. He's given you abilities and passions. And, you're, and how can you, having the gift of mercy or the gift of compassion or time, and, and then see someone who's in need and not do anything about that, John is suggesting that, man, that, that, that might be indicative that God's love is actually not really inside of you. Because we're, we're called to care for each other so much that we're willing to lay aside all of our preferences and our time. We're willing to make some sacrifices for the sake of building each other up. And then he says, little children, don't love just in word, but in deed and in truth. Don't just talk the talk, walk the walk. Romans 12, 14 through 18, we talked about this. Uh, we, we looked at this when Sam read it for us. But we're to rejoice with those who rejoice. And we're supposed to, to weep with those who weep. I mean, you can't do these things. You hear all of these things, church. You can't do these things alone. If you're, if you're not in a context where you're with other believers, where they're sharing the things of their heart, how are you supposed to care about the cares of other people? Like, how are we supposed to, as Romans 12, verses 16 through 18, how are we supposed to live in harmony with each other if we're not interested in being with one another? Like, in a real way. 
This is the call. Some of us need to share our stuff with other people who are willing to listen so we can just sit there and weep with one another and comfort each other in that time of affliction. Some of you are like, Drew, you don't understand what I've been going through. Tell me about it. Help me understand. I don't think anyone's going to care. Give, give it a shot. Give, give someone the benefit of the doubt. Hey, can you, can you listen to me? I need to share something with you. If you see someone struggling and you go, hey, how have you been doing? And I don't just be like, hey, what's up? How are you doing? Good, cool. Have a good day. God bless you. I mean, you know, really care. If you're going to ask that question, how are you doing? <laughs> Maybe you should care about how they're actually doing. So this is the call. James 5.16 says that we are to confess our sins to each other with one another and pray for one another. That's what we're supposed to do is to pray for one another so that we can be healed. Why? Because the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. It works. When we submit ourselves to the word of God and we expose ourselves in true community and we share the stuff that we're struggling with and then we care about each other enough to pray for each other, in a place of spirit and truth, and the way that we do that, there's healing. Anybody need healing from something today? James 5.16 suggests that that's what, that's what needs to happen. Psalm 122, we read, we, read, we read from this earlier. Jesus read from Psalm 122 that the psalmist, he rejoiced with those that said, let's go to the house of the Lord together to worship. Y'all are here today, I'm sure, because you want to worship, right? Hopefully there's at least some of you that are here to worship. Man, I, I, I'm just trying to wrap my mind around how awesome it is. I don't think we can really experience the fullness of how awesome it is. But that God has, has, has sent his son to die on the cross and to purchase for us a place in heaven. He's bought us. We're actually, if you're a Christian, you're property of Jesus Christ. You're, you belong to God. He's your master. He's your ruler. He's your Lord. You're obligated to him. And this is what he tells us to do. This is incredible. He says, meet with each other daily. Have community. Care about it. I mean, just wrap your minds around this with me for a second. That he, he has purchased for us the ability to enjoy fellowship with one another. To come here and to celebrate the goodness of Jesus Christ together. And he's given us people in our lives that we can go and share stuff with so that we can be healed, so that we can grow. And then ultimately, we can invite people into that fellowship so that we can see a broken world. And people who are broken, we can see them start to come to know Jesus. So that if there was five of us last week, there's six of us this week. Because someone else just came into the fold. He's given us that. That's what he's commanded us to do, is to grow in fellowship. People think of this whole idea of master and slave, God being master, us being his servants, and we think, oh, that's so oppressive. Let me just throw a wrench in the middle of that bad thinking. It's the most empowering thing that we will ever be able to do, is submit everything to Jesus. Romans 12, after all, it's, it's your reasonable act of worship to offer your entire being as a living sacrifice unto him. It's the least we can do. The, the, the fourth thing, some, some of you are like, you're going to be mad at me just for mentioning food because it's like already 12.15 and you're like, Drew, I know you still have another point to talk about and you're just starting your third, your fourth point and it's 12.15, I'm hungry. Well, food, we know this, everyone in here knows this, and no one's mad when they're eating food, right? Um, for the most part. 
1 uh, Peter 4.9 talks about showing hospitality. Hospitality literally means to welcome the stranger. This is a huge thing that we've discussed with the pastors. And, um, and I know that a lot of you have, have, maybe some of you have been in churches where you've had like a home group or a community group structure, and those were closed groups, and meaning that once, once these groups are set, we don't, we're not really interested in, in just inviting people into the... And, and there's a lot of value to that model because it, it allows for probably more intimacy and, and things like that. But in our discussions, in the, in the context of this church, we, we decided that we want these groups to be open, meaning that, that we, we feel strongly about, hey, if, if, we're, if, if, we really are wanting to, if we really want to be a disciple-making culture, we're inviting people into our fold then we should, we should want to invite non-believers to come and see how we're acting as Christians so that then they can have something tangible that they can be a part of once they do come into the kingdom of God. Or maybe as they're thinking about coming into the kingdom of God. Um, Acts 2.42 mentions food twice. Food's important. Jesus, he, he, most, he most explicitly shared his ministry of how he was about to die at a, at a, at a meal, Passover meal. He says, no, this is my body, and this is my blood. It's broken and poured out for you. Take it, eat it, take it, drink it in remembrance of me. And just so you know, when Jesus comes again the second time, we're going to have a feast in heaven. It's going to be awesome. Revelation says that there's trees of every, there's, a, there's fruit trees, of, or there's trees of every kind of fruit. I don't even know what that means, but it's going to be awesome. <laughs> it's going to be amazing. All of us love food. Um, the fifth thing, and this is, again, where these community groups will hinge. They'll be a, a failure or a success based on how, how, how well we understand this concept. And it's a disciple-making culture. I remember the first time that I met with, with Murray Van Gundy when he started discipling me. He said, open up your Bible to 2 Timothy 2. 2. I was like, okay. He's like, read it. And he's like, memorize it. And so I memorized it. And then the next week, I came back. And he's like, Do you memorize, did you memorize it, Drew? And I was like, yes, sir. And he's like, okay, quote it. Okay, what you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses and trust to faithful men who will be diligent to teach others as well. And he's like, okay, who's speaking, Drew? And I was like, Timothy? And he's like, nope. And I'm like, oh, okay. He's like, read chapter one, verse one. And I did that. And it's like Paul, an apostle. I'm like, was it Paul? And he's like, yes. Who is he talking to? And, Timothy? Yes. <laughs> and I was like, okay, Murray. And he's like, Drew, listen. Paul told Timothy to find faithful men who are going to tell others as well. There is four generations of disciple-making in that one little sentence, that one little passage in Scripture, 2 Timothy 2.2. If we don't have this next generation of believers' mentality and the buck stops with you, it's all for nothing. I mean, you're sitting in this church right now because someone had the wherewithal to share with you what they've heard about Jesus. Like, are you tracking with me right now? The reason why you're in these seven walls, how many walls are in the sanctuary, the reason why you're in here is because someone had the wherewithal to share with you the good news of Jesus. And so what are you going to do? Sit on your hands and not share that with someone else? The best thing that can happen with these community groups is that they get too big and we have to expand and start new ones. Because that means that it's growing. At the end of Acts chapter 2, verse 47, it says, that, and the Lord added to their numbers daily. From these community groups, we're going to encourage this, and we're going to teach and equip people how to do this, but we're hoping that from these community groups is going to flow all sorts of discipleship relationships. 
where, you know, we get into some of the hard things in these community groups, but, out, man, out of that, there's some new people that give their life to the Lord or maybe newer believers or a family or a marriage, people that are struggling in their marriage. And so out of that, we'll have some more intimate one-on-one, one-on-two kinds of meetings, discipleship interactions that can take place. Because encouraged and built-up Christians, this is just the truth, tend to, be, tend to be more bold with the gospel in whatever context that they operate in, whether it's your school, your workplace. And so this is what we're asking, church. What we're not interested in is throwing a big wrench in the middle of something that you're doing that works right now. And so you know, there's, there's part of my mind like a year ago that said, let's just get rid of everything, and then we'll only do community groups. And all the elders were like, whoa, Sonny. They, they, they didn't call me Sonny, but I kind of felt like it a little bit. Just kidding. But we decided, you know what? There's, there's a lot of things that work well. But there's a, I know that there's so many people, there's so many of us in this church who aren't doing anything like this. Hebrews chapter 10 says, don't neglect meeting with each other, as some are in the habit of doing. But stir one another up in love and good deeds. Stir, stir each other up in love. And to, as, as we see the day, the second coming of Jesus, as we see Jesus approach being more and more, every second that passes is another second closer to Jesus. That's how I see it. That's how we should see it. And so I'm asking all of us to pray about this together as a church, Coronado Baptist Church. I'm asking that we'll all pray into this initiative together, that we would seek God and say, Lord, your will be done. It would be amazing if like 500 people signed up to do community groups. You'd have to bear with us because it would t- it, it'll take us a long time to get all of those groups started. Um, but we, we really are seeking the Lord in this, and, and we believe this is how he's leading our church into more diligent fellowship and community. And so pray, if you will, with me and with your families, pray. If you're individually single people in here, pray and ask God to, to, to lead you in how he's calling you to be involved in these groups. Can you do that with me, church? Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for today. Lord, this is the day that you've made. It's true of every single day. And so help us to rejoice in the day at hand and be glad in it. Lord, give us confidence that know, to know that today is the day of salvation. And so the people that you've put in our lives that don't know you, you've called us to minister to them. Lord, help us to care for and love the brethren. Help us to love each other just as Jesus, you've loved us, knowing that when we love each other the right, the right way, all men will know that we are your disciples. So that as we glorify you, God, as we, as we do the things that you've called us, the good works that you've called us to walk in, people will see those things and they will give you glory in heaven. And Father, as we seek you, looking forward to September and how to start these groups, we know that, that you will put the right people in each of those groups. Lord, work around all of our insufficiencies, work around all of our imperfections. And we pray that, that, that as we endeavor to be more intentional with each other and with the world you've called us to, that, that we would see your kingdom come on earth as it already is in heaven. Establish your throne of praise in each of our hearts and in this church, God, as we seek first your kingdom and righteousness. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, church. Just so you know, uh, this week... Look at the website. You'll you'll be able to sign up online um, for community groups as we look forward to September. Okay?
Cool. Love all of you so much. Hope you have a wonderful week, and we'll see you here next week.